All right, uh, I'd like to sing, I'm going to say sing you a song. If you know it, please sing along at home. We don't, I don't think we, we've sung this song a lot. I'd like to say that we have sung this in church a few times, but it's not the one that we, we sing often, but it's a, it's a beautiful song. And as you could probably tell from the songs that Mareka chose, today we're going to be looking in the Sermon on the Mount at the portion in Jesus' sermon where he talked about prayer and focused on that. So this song also focuses on that topic and uh, has a wonderful message to it. If the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain, and your soul is almost sinking in despair, Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and He can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. When your enemies assail and your heart begins to fail, don't forget that God in heaven answers prayer. He will make a way for you and will lead you safely through. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. When your youthful days are gone and old age is stealing on and your body bends beneath the weight of care, He will never leave you then. He'll go with you to the end. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Amen. That's a great song. All right. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew 6, and we're going to continue our series of sermons through the greatest sermon ever, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, and we'll begin reading today, verse number 5, and we'll read... A handful of verses from this chapter before we step into God's guest room and have a word of prayer. Matthew 6 and verse 5. Jesus said, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. 
And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14 says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye you, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And with those words, I would ask you to please bow your heads with me and let's go to God in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to be able to enter into your presence, to enter into the throne room, into our prayer closets and speak with you and ask you, God, please, we need grace to help in this time of need. Specifically, Lord, if I can narrow it down, I need your help to preach. My sufficiency is not of myself. It is you, you and you alone. Please, by your grace, speak to our hearts today and give us a, a deep love and appreciation for this guest room that you've prepared for us this place of prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I wonder, and I, I, I wonder this, but I'm almost sure this is true for, for almost everybody listening. Surely you've had somebody invite you to come and spend time at their place. Maybe if you're like me, I've had several of, of you, several of you that I know are listening this morning. You've mentioned that you have some getaway, some place, maybe not in town here, but near the coast or a farm somewhere where you have a place where you've invited us, me and my family, we can go there and rest, just recharge the batteries. I know when I was in America, church after church after church, so generous, so gracious about this, told us over and over again, Brother Mike, if you would like to get away from everything just for a day or two, you're more than welcome to come to the church here, they'd have a special room that they had prepared. They sometimes call it a missions chamber or a prophet's chamber, if you're familiar with that term. It comes from 2 Kings chapter 4. But they said, anytime you need to get away, we have a room prepared for you. Now, I got to thinking about those invitations. Wouldn't that be nice right now after, you know, I've lost track of time, to be honest. It feels like much longer than it truly has been, but what, a month, over a month of lockdown, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be able to, to get out of town, just to go somewhere else, anywhere else, and I, I want to say rest and relax. Many of us have had a chance to do a little more of that. I know many of us have, you know, are also busy doing something, but just to break away and be in that special place where you can find peace and recharge the batteries, I think that would be so profitable right now. And that's why I want to preach to you this morning about God's guest room. God's guest room. Uh, we know in, in John chapter 14, a verse I think many of us are familiar with, in verse 2, Jesus talked about the Father's house, and He said there, there's many mansions there. And in verse 2, He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, we understand not only from that context, but also from, from others, especially Revelation chapter 21. I believe the place that Jesus has gone to prepare is New Jerusalem. And oh, what a day that'll be when we get to see that wonderful, that beautiful city with our own eyes. That is the eternal dwelling of the bride of Christ. That is where we get to live forever. What a wonderful promise. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
the wonderful part of that promise is that we get to be in His presence forever. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the outstanding part about it. I, I realize we look forward to a glorified body that'll never be sick and never have pain and sorrow will be done and our tears will be wiped away. But the, the wonderful part, the best part of, of eternity is that we get to uh, be in the presence of the Lamb of God forever and ever. Now Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And we count that precious. But can I say this? Before we ever get to see New Jerusalem, there is a place that has already been prepared. There is a room that God has sanctified. It's a special, precious place. And you can visit this, this place, this guest room, anytime, day or night, there's always a vacancy, if I can say it that way. There's always room at the throne of grace. You can, at any time you want, enter into the presence of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have an open invitation to swing by anytime you want and spend time in God's guest room. The place has been prepared, and here's what I mean by prepared. The blood of Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to enter into the holiest of all. Without the atoning work, the atoning sacrifice that Jesus gave there on the cross when He offered Himself for our sins. We'd have no access to God, but now we can rejoice in this grace wherein we stand. Anytime we want, we can stop by this prepared place, God's guest room. Now, there are two other ways that we often refer to God's guest room. Number one, we call it the throne room or the throne of grace. And I quoted the verse from Hebrews that, that gives us that title. But there's another way you can think of it, and we read it this morning in Matthew 6, verse 6. Jesus said, when you pray, enter into thy closet and shut the door. Now, a closet in the Bible refers to any closed area where you can find privacy. And that's the thrust of what Jesus is, is teaching His disciples about prayer. You need to have time privately in that closed-off room where it's just you and, and the Father. So we can call it a prayer closet. We can also at the same time call it the throne room. I'm referring to it today as God's guest room. But I want, I want you to see the connection here between it. I don't know how many of you watch these sort of programs or, or seen it in movies. I've mentioned many times before how Hollywood often borrows from the Bible, even though they, they may not realize they're doing it. The idea, the premise for their, for their action scenes or their plots often come from the Bible. It's often found there. And I think the same is true when it comes to this matter of prayer. You know, you've seen in some of these movies where a, a person enters through a door, and as they walk through the door, they actually enter into a completely different dimension, right? And they shut the door, and, and no longer, you know, they can't go back to that other dimension. And, you know, movies like to play with that idea. You see it even in cartoon movies. Forgive me for knowing these things, right? But... <laughs> I, I, I think uh, Monsters Incorporated, right? Monsters Inc., they had the thing where you could enter in through the closet door and it takes you to a different realm. Well, like it or not, we had that idea long, long ago in the Bible. Because when I enter into my prayer closet, it is an earthly room. It's just a, a, a room, a physical room. I enter into it. When I close the door, I enter a different dimension. I close the door and all of the sudden I am in this heavenly dimension, not physically mind you, my body's still there in the prayer closet, but spiritually as I look at it, not with the eyes of my body, but with, with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of my soul, 
I close my eyes down here on the earth and when I do, my spiritual eyes get opened and I can look around and, and I catch myself sometimes falling quiet in the prayer closet because I, I want to see, I want to know if I can hear the angels singing in the background. I, I want to be able to hear the four beasts falling before uh, the Lord and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. I fall silent because I want to hear if there's some other people also visiting the guest room and maybe praising, worshiping the Father. I, I want to partake of all of that. So I, I, I think you might consider this a portal of prayer, right? A prayer portal that takes us from the earthly into the heavenly. And the Bible says, if you be seated at the right hand, which we are, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And if we walk by faith and not by sight, which prayer demands, by the way, <clears throat> we can set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. My prayer closet becomes a portal, transporting me to a completely different dimension. Now, I understand why a lot of people don't take others up on the invitation to come by and spend time <clears throat> at, their, uh, at their resort or their getaway, their guest house, whatever it is, that special room. We, we often don't feel worthy of the invitation, right? We don't want to abuse that person's kindness. We feel that the offer is, is just too generous. And we, we would almost feel bad about making that call saying, hey, you offered that I could come and stay there and, you know, I'm going to do that. Every time that I've taken somebody up on the offer, I've found they, they really appreciate the privilege of getting to help. But there's something in us, right, that we just don't want to abuse their kindness. We don't feel worthy of it. Can I ask you to hold your place in Matthew? We're going to come right back to there. I would like to show you a couple other places just quickly. Romans chapter 8. Would you turn to that with me, please? Romans 8, verse 26. And then I'd also like you to get Luke chapter 11. So in your left hand, keep Matthew. In your right hand, get Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And in, in your third hand, get Luke 11 and verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. You know why a lot of people, I think, don't spend more time in God's guest room? They don't feel worthy. They think to themselves, you know, I don't really know that much about prayer. I don't know how to pray that well. And therefore, you know, I, I feel awkward going into this guest room. I, I don't know how to properly address the Father. I, it just doesn't feel right to be there. First of all, let me point out that Hebrews 4 says you can enter boldly, boldly to the throne of grace, not because you are a professional at prayer. Did you know there are no professionals when it comes to praying? The idea of let me figure this out, study this out, learn how to do it, and then I'll really spend time doing it. That's not how prayer works at all. There are no professional prayers, if I can use that term. We enter boldly to the, to the guest room of God <clears throat> because we've been invited. Because God said we can come. Because of what Jesus did. That's our boldness. It's not in how good we pray. It's not in the eloquence of our words when we address the Father. It's us accepting the invitation and sincerely and genuinely saying, God, I know I don't deserve to be here, but you said I could come. You said I need to come. And therefore, I'm happy to take you up on your offer. Let me just show you these verses. Romans 8 and verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Infirmities are shortcomings. Look at what the shortcoming is in verse 26. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. How many times have you got down to pray and said, I don't even know what to pray about? I, my heart feels so overwhelmed. My mind, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to ask for. 
that doesn't disqualify you from God's guest room. Matter of fact, that's the time that you need to be there the most. Paul says, For we know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So while you're down here on the earth and your heart is groaning and the only intelligent sound you can make is, Oh, your heart is in so much pain. Your mind is in such a state of chaos. You, you don't know what to, to, to say except to express your pain through the sound of, Oh. And it's right then that the Spirit of God goes up to the Father and says, Bless their hearts. They don't know what to do, but we do. We know how to use this in their lives for, for uh, the Father's glory. So let's do this and this and this. And a heavenly conversation begins to take place. Come to Luke 11, verse number 1. It says, It came to pass that as He was praying, Jesus, in a certain place, when He ceased, one of His disciples said unto Him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Here are the apostles asking Jesus, please give us a lesson on prayer. Teach us to pray. This shows me something. People that take God seriously, they want to know more about this topic. God, please, Lord, please teach us to pray. We will always be students when it comes to the matter of prayer. There are no professional prayers. And you and I, maybe we've heard of people that are really good at having prayers answered. There are famous, I want to say famous, but well-known names. George Mueller comes to mind. Many of you are familiar with him. This man, his prayer diary, whew, that man had some prayers answered. He prayed in over a million dollars, a million pounds, I think it was, of, of the... That's by the currency of his day, you know, the standard of his day, not our day. Over a million pounds came into his orphanage and he never advertised his needs to anyone. He only prayed. God really worked through that, through that man's prayer life. I think of a man, his name was John Hyde, but his nickname was Praying Hyde. He was a missionary to Pakistan and, and India and uh, oh, that man, his, the way that he prayed. Wonderful stories if you ever have the time to read it. If you've ever had a chance to read books by E.M. Bounds. Wonderful books on prayer. But if you were to ask these men, have you figured out prayer? Do you know how to do it perfectly? They will, I believe, tell you the same that I'm saying today. We're not professionals at it. We're never going to be adequate. What God demands for the prayer closet, for, the, for spending time in the guest room, is that you're genuinely seeking Him. You can go there with your infirmity, with your shortcoming, and say, God, I just need to be near you. Can you come back to Matthew 6? I'd like to point out some lessons that Jesus gives in these verses. Please do not think that in these 9, 10 verses that we've read, that this is all that you need to know about prayer. There are so many other things in the Word of God that speak about prayer. But just in this short passage, let me point these out quickly. In verse 5, don't make a show of it. Praying is not something you do to entertain the people around you or to draw attention to yourself. You're not trying to prove to everyone that you're a spiritual giant. In verse 6, we learn to make space for prayer both in your schedule and in your dwelling. Choose a place, choose a time. In verse 7, don't mindlessly and heartlessly just repeat words. If you're in the prayer closet, you need to mean what you say. Even if you cannot say a lot, you need to have the right attitude, the right heart when you're in there. Don't use vain repetitions, just repeating words. In verse 8, the Father knows what you need but there's a good chance that you don't. That's why you need to pray. So that God can tell you, you think you need this, but here's what you really need. In verse 9, we begin what we often call the Lord's Prayer. This is actually something that Jesus Himself never prayed. He taught His disciples to pray this. And, and He just said in verse 7, don't, don't repeat things vainly, mindlessly. 
So this is not something that you necessarily have to repeat word for word. If you want to, it's not wrong to do that if you're doing it with the right attitude and you understand what you're saying and you mean it. However, I believe Jesus is telling us if, when you pray, these are the kind of things that you need to talk about, pray about, think about. In verse 9 specifically, we learn when we pray, we should spend time worshiping God. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That name and everything that it stands for, it is holy. It is separate from everything else. God is, He is the most high God. And, and it does us good when, when we enter into the guest room. I, I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever stepped into a room and everyone in the room is looking at one thing and you don't know what the big deal is and you walk in and nobody even recognizes that you walked in. They just keep staring at that one thing. You know something big is going on. When I enter into the guest room of God, all eyes are directed at the throne. Nobody's looking at me. Everybody, the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim, all the other guests taking God up on His invitation, staring at the throne. We get to, we get to worship Him together. There's another thing we learn as you continue to go, verse 10, 11, 12, you can see there's a place for confession of sin, right? If, he talks about forgive us our debts. You need to examine your heart while you're in the prayer closet. Also, there's a place for requests. You can say, God, I, today I need food. Today I need to know what your will is. There's a place, verse 13, I believe gives us room for an expectation of these answers. We need to recognize not only that God is listening to our request, but that He is well able to do something about it. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. There's so much that we can learn just from this. Verse 14 and 15, which might have surprised you that I read those verses along with, with this, with this uh, today's theme about prayer. But this is actually quite important as it pertains to prayer. The way that you treat others, it, if you are holding a grudge and if you have wrath and anger built up in your heart, bitterness, that is going to affect your prayer life. We know this from the New Testament. In 1 Timothy, Paul said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So you need to have belief. There's faith involved. And you need to remove the wrath, that bitterness. If you're going to go to God with a gift and remember that you have some, some issue with a brother, leave the gift, fix it with the brother, then go to God. So verses 14 and 15 actually play a, a, a decent-sized role when it comes to prayer. As I said, there's many lessons that we can learn here. I would like to, and please take time to meditate on those things and look, look through these things on your own. See what other lessons you might learn from this passage that, that we've spoken of here. I want to give you just a few ideas about God's precious guest room. Number one, and, and some of these will, they do pertain to what we've read. I, I want to say this, the, the guest room, it can be utilized publicly. Here's what I mean by this. In verse 5, in verse 5, public prayer is not forbidden. That is, assembling with other believers and praying out loud. We do this on Saturday nights, usually. Our prayer, our, our uh, prayer meeting is at 6 o'clock on Saturday nights, and we have a decent number of people show up for that. And we get together and pray, and, and one person at a time will, will pray while the others listen and pray along and you know in their hearts. Public prayer is not forbidden in verse 5. What's forbidden is praying just to be seen and heard of men for, for vain glory. That's forbidden. But we read in 1 Corinthians 14 that a public prayer meeting with other believers it is extreme. It should be extremely edifying. It should build you up as you listen to other people magnify the Lord or pour out their hearts with requests or whatever the whatever they're praying about. That helps build your faith. There is a place in our lives for public use of God's guest room. Now, anytime you're in a new place, if you're visiting a, a new building or new area. It's wonderful to have a guide 
to show you around and help you get familiar with your surroundings. And the same is true when it comes to visiting God's guest room. If you have not spent a lot of time in this guest room, a wonderful way to learn how that operates is to spend time in that guest room with somebody else. They're not professional, mind you, but they have experience. They've been there and they can, they can help you get familiar, help you get comfortable spending time in God's guest room. So I would encourage you to take advantage of praying with other people. However, this brings me to my next point. God's guest room, it, should, it can be public, but but secondly, I want to say there also must be a private use of the guest room. I just mentioned having a guide going into the guest room, which is extremely helpful. However, I do not want to spend time in God's guest room with someone else if they do not spend time in that guest room privately. Do you understand my point? If this person will only pray when there's a public gathering, if there is no private time between that person and the Father, then I'm not really going to expect much when it comes to the public prayer meeting. We need that public time, that assembly to pray, but there must be private use of the guest room. You know, if I were to call uh, many of you and say, listen, I I'd love to get together just you and me, and have a conversation. Can we make time in the schedule, maybe have a coffee and talk about things? I, I can't remember anyone saying, Pastor, I'd rather not talk to you. <laughs> maybe you were thinking it, but no one's ever, no one's ever said that. Every, everybody that, that I can remember has been very congenial, been very accepting of that idea, and they appreciate getting to spend 30 minutes or an hour just chatting, getting, uh, you know, getting to talk about things with, with the pastor, maybe even pray together. I remember when I was visiting Um France and Tony Thora a few years ago before his passing, they had a room in their house. It was called the Pastur Sakamar, and it, the pastor's room. And they said anytime the pastor wants to come by for a visit, that's what this room is for. And uh, I, I don't know if that's a common thing in, in, in all homes or if it was just their home, but they had a room set aside just to meet with the pastor. You know, it'd be real good if you had a room set aside just to meet with God. A, a, a private place where you could shut the door or shut the world out and just talk to God. If I were to call and ask for a private meeting, many of you would be happy to do that. God has asked, He has invited you He's not going to make you coffee, right? Although Hebrews, that's a bad joke, I'm sorry. I had to slip it in. I couldn't resist. But God has invited you. He wants you in that guest room. Surely you wouldn't turn Him down. Surely you wouldn't say, God, I don't have time. My schedule's, my schedule's too full. Surely you wouldn't wait until the schedule opened up. You would make time. Don't find time, make time for this private use <clears throat> of God's guest room. Many of you know my favorite missionary is John Patton. And in his autobiography, he spends quite a bit of time in the beginning uh, speaking about his father, James Patton. And one of his earliest memories is that every day at 5 a.m., his dad would enter into a special room set aside in their small little home and he would shut that door and be in there for sometimes a couple hours before the day began. And he knew that his dad was spending time talking to God. Moms and dads, do, do your kids ever get to see you make use of, of, that, of the privacy of that guest room? You know, it's going to mean a lot more when you pull them close to you and say, Son, daughter, I'd like to pray with you. If they know you've spent some time privately, that public prayer is going to mean so much more. Which leads me to the next thing I want to say. It should be done publicly. It must be done privately. And guys, this isn't a burden. This is a privilege. It can be public. It should be private. must be private. And it's a privilege. 
It is a privilege. It should never be a burden to spend time with the people you love. I will say this. There will be times where you're not in the mood for it. Amen? There are times where my flesh, I know it's time to pray. I can feel the Holy Spirit tugging me into the prayer closet and my flesh is fighting against it, rebelling against that with all of its might. And then the Holy Spirit will gently remind me of what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Which, by the way, is another way of referring to God's guest room. Jesus, when He invited the disciples to pray with Him out there in the garden, there was, a, there was some space but, uh, in between them, but they were still there in the garden. And He came and He found that the disciples had fallen asleep and were not spending quality time in God's guest room. And Jesus said to them, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak when it comes to prayer. Isn't that true? Our flesh views God's guest room as a burden, as an obligation. You know, when people help you out and, and uh, they've been generous to you, we feel obligated. You know, if they were to say, hey, let's get together. Oh, man, how can I tell them no? They've done so much for me. I feel obligated, even though deep down, you really don't look forward to spending time with them. You appreciate what they did, but ah, it's just difficult. You know, personalities or whatever it is, you, you just don't really look forward to that time. I hope that's not the case with you and God. I hope you don't go into the guest room and say, God, I'm, I'm here because I know that you helped me and I, I know I have to do this. But really, we don't have much in common and I don't know what to say to you, and I don't know how to listen to what you have to say to me, so I'll just sit here. I'm here. I hope that it's not an obligation or a burden. You know what you might need to do? Take a few, I want to say minutes, take a few hours, meditate on God, think about who He is. And I believe that once you recognize who He is, it'll no longer be an obligation, but a privilege that you passionately run towards. It'll be a time that you seek out, not that you keep putting off. You get to know God. The Bible just in a few places says God is light. God is love. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. God is just. God is gracious. God is holy. Let me give you a great verse on this. Isaiah 57 verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. Listen to this part. I dwell in the high and holy place. See, you hear that and you think, well then, what business do I have being there? Listen to the next part. He said, I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also that is of a contrite, that means sorrowful, contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In another place in Isaiah, God says, To this man will I look, to him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my words. Do you see the kind of person that God wants in His guest room? He doesn't want the proud guy saying, I know what I'm doing here. I'm a professional. No, you're not. The humble guy that walks in and says, God, I really don't have any business being here. I don't know what to do, but I want to be around you. Did you know you're as close to God today as you want to be? Doesn't the Bible say, draw nine to God and He'll draw nine to you? You say, I don't know how. Then try. Just try. God, if you'll be honest about it, say, God, I, I don't feel worthy, but you said I could. So by faith, I'm going to do it. This is a privilege. What an amazing privilege. You take, if you approach this as a privilege, you know what it's going to turn into? A pleasure. It'll turn into a pleasure. And once you view it like that, it'll be hard to leave this guest room. Your flesh will try to stop you from getting there. But once you get there, once you crucify that flesh, view it as a privilege, turns to a pleasure, and it'll be hard to leave. The next thing I'd like to say about it, God's guest room, it's a powerful place to be. It is a powerful place. It can be public. It must be private. It is a privilege. It turns into a pleasure. 
and there you will find the power of God. You know, this is very true for a lot of us. We go on vacation because we need to, quote-unquote, recharge the batteries. We've run out of power. We can't face another day. We can't face what the future holds, whether that's the next few hours or the next few months or years. Where are we going to find the power we need to get through life? God's guest room is where you're going to find the power that you need. You step into this guest room, fall quiet before the Lord, be still and know that He's God. You hear Him speaking to your heart. So how do I know it's Him? Well, this is where reading the Bible, you get familiar with His words and the kind of things that He says, and, and you'll be able to recognize when the Holy Spirit is whispering to you that still small voice. It'll become familiar the more you hear it. But once you hear that voice saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Oh, it's so much easier to walk in that way because you come out of the guest room recharged, reinvigorated, revived. That's what he said, to revive the spirit of the humble. And you can walk out with boldness saying, I know this is the path that God wants me to, to walk on. This is the way He wants me to handle this. And you can handle it now with confidence and boldness, not because you figured it out, not because you're a specialist in that area, but because God told you this is the way. This is how I want you to handle it. And knowing that God's behind you, that God is supporting that, that's the power you need. Guys, when it comes to preaching, if I can use my own profession, for a moment. I agree completely with what the Apostle Paul said. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I put a sermon together. I study over it. I I, I meditate on it. I think about it. I try to find appropriate illustrations and explanations, but at the end of the day, where the power is found is when I take this sermon into the guest room and show it to the Father and say, Father, is this what you'd have me to say? And when the Father says, all right, let's uh, put this in, take this out, now go preach it. I don't want to preach without God's hand on it, without God's blessing upon that sermon. The best I can do is just show up and say, God, to the best of my ability, I've heard from you and I believe this is what the people need. And now it's in God's hands. And guys, in God's hands, something powerful can happen. If it's in mine, my hands are feeble and weak, but not in His. You know, Moses, he was called to lead an entire nation. And before that journey really got underway, right, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and so forth, Moses went up on the mountain privately, talked to God for 40 days and 40 nights, he came down through the Ten Commandments down because the people had, had rebelled so horribly against God. Went back up another 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says as he came down the mountain again, his face was glowing. He had God all over him. That's what he needed to get the job done. That was the reward that he received openly. People could see this man has spent time with God. It's powerful. Can I say something else about this guest room? It's also very peaceful. You'll find there the power you need, and you'll also find a peace that passes all understanding. In Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing. Don't don't worry. Don't be anxious. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people these days that are lacking this peace that passes all understanding. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you. That's a peace that passes all understanding. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Anytime I think about this peace, I I think of the story where the disciples were told by Jesus to get into the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they were journeying in the boat, Jesus fell asleep. And a storm kicked up and the waves began to crash and the the boat was filling with water and the disciples rushed to Jesus and said, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And they were panicked. 
like a lot of people now. Jesus, he rose up from his sleep and he said, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? And he turned to nature and he said, Peace, be still. And immediately the wind ceased and the Bible says there was a great calm. You look it up in Mark 4, there was a great calm. Now, you know, if you hear that story, you might think, well, if Jesus would just stand up and rebuke all the problems going on in my life, the storms of my life, if He would, if he would make all of these problems go away, then I would also have a great calm. Here's the thing. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, you build your house upon a rock, the storms are going to come. The rain is going to fall. The floods are going to happen. The problems of life cannot be avoided. Your reaction to the problems, to the storms, that is what you have a lot of control over. You know what would be even better than Jesus? Now, I, I, I do. I hope that Jesus does make all the problems that are going on in your life go away. I, and that's not wrong to seek after that, pray for that. But you, you know what you need more than that? For Jesus to stand up this morning and rebuke the storm going on in your heart and tell your heart, peace, be still. And you know what you'll find? Even though the storm around you is still raging, there will be a peace and a great calm that passes all understanding. You'll look around and say, I should be panicked. I should be losing my mind right now, but for some reason, I, I have such a peace that the world never gave, a peace it cannot take away. Jesus needs to speak to your heart this morning and give it a great calm. Lastly, I'd like to say this. God's guest room, it can be public. It must be private. It is an absolute privilege that brings about pleasure. It's very powerful. It should bring about a great peace. And lastly, it is paramount. It is paramount. The word paramount means more important than anything else. You say, Brother Mike, how can that be? That, that prayer, more important than anything else? Let let me explain it like this. It is paramount in that if you go to a government office, to a wedding chapel, to a delivery room, a church building, a place of business where you step into your own home with your family, there's not one of those places that don't require first having spent time in God's guest room. It is paramount that you approach all facets of life with an attitude of prayer. In every one of these areas, you need God's hand, God's leadership, God's peace, God's power, His presence. You need all of that. If you don't have that, then are you not cheating these aspects of life? Are you not going to approach them in your own power and therefore not get the most of, not make the most of those opportunities. Therefore, whether you're going to get married, have children, get a new job, move to a different place, whatever decision you have to make, the guest room, God's guest room is paramount. It's so important. People in these days are perplexed. They're puzzled. They're panicked. They're filled with confusion because of what's going on, what's going to happen with the economy. How is South Africa going to bounce back? How is the world going to bounce back? Are we entering into the end of the end times? What do we do? I'd like to close this morning's sermon with a quote from one of A.W. Tozer's books. He said, It is wholly impossible for us to know what lies before us, but it is possible to know something vastly more important. A quaint but godly American preacher of a generation past said it for us. Quote, Abraham went out not knowing whither he went, said he, but he knew who was going with him. What an outstanding quote. Abraham went out not knowing whither he went, but he knew who was going with him.
Tozer completed his statement by saying, we cannot know for certain the what and the whither, that's the where, of our earthly pilgrimage, but we can be sure of the who, and nothing else really matters. I urge you today, take advantage of God's invitation to spend time in His guest room. It is of the paramount, it is of paramount importance for every other area of your life. If you would, let's bow our heads and let's pray together and spend just a moment together in God's guest room. And then I do hope that you make some private time today with God in the guest room. Father, as we approach the throne together, Lord, you, you said that we should do this, that we should pray together where two or three agree, there, there's, there's something special about that. You said that, the, that that adds to the prayer. And we boldly approach this morning in Jesus' name, not in ours, but, but under His authority because of what He's done. Thank You for this great privilege. And Lord, I'm sorry for all the times that my flesh keeps me from spending time with You. I'm sorry for the times that I've treated it like an obligation. It is a privilege, Lord. I pray for each and every person listening today, God, that they would learn to spend time kneeling, seated, standing, whatever the case is, in your, in your guest room, just listening with their heart pressed against your bosom. Lord, with their, with their ears open to what the Spirit has to say. Might they draw nigh this morning. Father, thank You. I thank You that, that we can expect something to come from our prayers. For Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Please, God, might Your Word accomplish that which You please this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. Lord willing, you'll be back with us tonight, 6 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7, so join us for that.